Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's college football show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. Dalton, we have a very, very special episode for you guys today. Uh, Of course, we're at the midway point, pretty much the midway point of the 2023 college football season. The next two weeks are kind of like that midway point. So with that, the next two weeks on these Monday episodes are going to be our midseason All-American team and the next week our midseason awards. Of course, Dalton, our midseason All-American team today. But before we start that, man, uh, what have you made? What what do you can you make of the insane week six that we just had of college football? Oh, it finally boiled over. We almost had all the madness last week. There was a ton of close calls, and we finally got it between Notre Dame going down on the road. USC up till 3 a.m. for some of us in <laughs> yeah. triple overtime, watching that game nearly blowing it. Um, tag, the Red River rivalry was everything as advertised. The madness has officially begun. It's finally boiled over. It took six weeks, but we are in for a wild, wild ride for the rest of the season. And, dude, Miami, maybe the worst coaching blunder in the history of of at least college football. I mean, it's up there with the Miracle in the Meadowlands, the first one, because that one they also could have uh, knelt the ball and, and won the game. But Miami, man, dude, they they literally had the game. They could have just knelt the ball, game over. Instead, they ran it, they fumbled it, Georgia Tech got the ball back and uh, scored the game-winning touchdown. What did you make of, as a former coach, how infuriating was watching that Miami basically give the game to Georgia Tech? It's... It's inexcusable, and it's the worst loss any team will suffer all season. Yep. Um, Miami was absolutely rolling, and look, Georgia Tech played very, very well through most of the game, but Miami had the game won, and that's a game in an ACC race that they were in and arguably still are in, mm-hmm. but you're not going to see Florida State lose like that to Georgia Tech. You're not going to see North Carolina, especially with Tez Walker in now, lose to Georgia Tech or a team like that in that fashion. When you have the game won, just, just win it, and it's, it's, it's ruined their season. I, I just don't know. They were rolling along so well, and they had a game one where they did not play their best. Which you know what we've seen from almost every team in the country now. You're going to have to get through one or two games like that if you want to run the table or go New Year's Six or to the playoff or something like that. It is. It's just mind-boggling to me that when the answer is to simply take a knee. And the, when the game is over, let the game be over. Yeah. It's, it's that <laughs> simple. I, I've, I've seen this before on the lower levels, too, and I, I've never understood it, whether it's through grudges or trying to run up the score or even trying to get guys reps or whatever. When you just need a win, especially at that level, especially when you're number 17 in the country and you're trying to prove maybe this – you would have been going into this week against North Carolina undefeated, two undefeated teams – with probably very quite possibly a spot in the ACC championship on the line, mm-hmm. or at least a big step towards it, and Miami looking to have a special season, it was all taken away in a span of about five plays, and it's it's inexcusable. I really don't know how they recover from that. Oh, dude, neither do I. I mean, I was so high in the Hurricanes before that. I mean, I was high on Mario Cristobal with all the recruiting he's been doing and how many great players are getting in. They beat Texas A&M in a very impressive win. That's almost all undone by that, man. I mean, that is, like I said, it's inexcusable. They literally could have kneeled on the ball. Game over. Clock would have run out. Georgia Tech had no timeouts left. They ran it, and they they lost the game because of it. But uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about our midseason All-American team today. We're going to go through each position group and then highlight a couple players from each position group that we want to talk about. 
The one that we have to start off with, though, Dalton, is quarterback, which was a very difficult decision. I know a lot of people are kind of between two guys for the Heisman Trophy right now. We are going with Michael Penix Jr., the Washington quarterback, as our midseason All-American quarterback. And Dalton, what have you seen from the six-year senior so far this season? Um, to be honest, everything. Uh, you've got a guy who is the top-graded quarterback in the country, top passing grade, best in a clean pocket. You think you can get to him and you can fluster him. He's got the 12th best pressured grade in the country. He's in the top 10 in deep balls and intermediate balls and short balls. He's an excellent play-action passer. He fits that team perfectly. He spreads it to all his weapons, and he can throw – on on or off any platform you want he's got he's got everything and right now i think i was looking for a word for it before i would call him the most efficient passer yeah in the country it just simply just so rarely makes a mistake they have such just a lethal vertical element to with the three big receivers they have and even on a day you know last week you can point to washington only beating arizona by seven Again, it's about sometimes winning without your best foot forward, and they still ran for four touchdowns. And an off day for Penix still has over 360 yards and going roughly 30 for 40, completing roughly 75, 76% for over 360 yards. If he had two touchdowns in that game throwing, nobody would bat an eye. It's only because he didn't have a touchdown, but that's not to say he didn't play well. It was just a matter of game plan, game script. But he's been the most efficient quarterback in the country. And for those, I, I know we'll get a ton of rap for why not Caleb Williams, 22 touchdowns, one pick and all this stuff, the underlying metrics on yeah. Williams. And I know that's not often how Heisman votes and, and all American teams are voted on the underlying metrics for Williams are starting to get a little concerning. It's starting to look like he's pressing because his team, especially on defense is flawed over the last three weeks. Williams passing grade is a 70.6 with two big-time throws and seven turnover-worthy plays. Wow. So on the, on the surface, everything at USC looks great. But he's you're starting to see it's weird with the Mahomes comparison because now this is starting to look a little more like Mahomes at Texas Tech as the gunslinger, as the guy under pressure who will just try to fit the ball into every window. Caleb, The rest of Caleb Williams' season is going to be intriguing because a lot of times with the underlying metrics – the regression starts to happen towards them. And I know, I trust me, I'm not saying by any means he shouldn't be the number one pick in the draft. He should, right? But right now, Penix is the way more efficient passer, the cleaner passer. And being that he's the number one passer in our grading, I, I, I would agree with, with Penix in this spot right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. You look at, you know, that stat right there, Penix right now, second in the country behind Shador Sanders in passing yards with 2004. Shador has 15 more passing yards than Michael Penix Jr., despite having 121 more dropbacks than Michael Penix Jr. So Michael Penix Jr., really, I mean, he had a bye week. If he didn't, he'd be easily leading the nation in passing yards right now. Big test for him this week. Big test for Caleb Williams this week as well. Penix has got Oregon on the slate. Uh, Caleb Williams has Notre Dame. Really good defense Notre Dame has, even with the struggles they've had so far this season. That will, I think, determine how those two play. That could determine next week uh, our midseason award. So we're not, you know, this is not the end-all, be-all All-American team because, of course, those are two huge games. So we might change our Heisman pick next year, next week. But right now, I would agree with you. Michael Penix Jr. would be my Heisman pick. And right now, he has been the best quarterback 
in college football. So let's move on to our skill position players now. Running backs, receivers, tight ends, starting off with uh, our two running backs, one of them being Audric Estime from Notre Dame, the other one being Jonathan Brooks from Texas. Pretty impressive what they're doing now without Bijan Robinson and Rashawn Johnson. Uh, the three receivers we have are all SEC receivers, one of them being Luther Burden III from Missouri, Malik Neighbors from LSU, and his teammate, Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU. It has been incredible what those two and Jaden Daniels have been doing for the Tigers in that passing game this season. And of course, the tight end is maybe the easiest one out of all of these to pick, Brock Bowers from Georgia. So an all-SEC receiving core, Dalton, and who's the guy in that all-SEC receiving core that you want to highlight? Well, it's it's insane that you got three of these guys in the same game last week, and I'm actually going to highlight the one from the team that went down in that game, Luther Burden. Look, he's been our guy for a few weeks now, and this Missouri offense has turned around. The first reason that they have turned this thing around and Kirby Moore has gone in there and made this a, a borderline elite offense is that he – went in there and understood that Luther Burden's the best athlete on this team, leads the country in receiving grade and yards and yards after the catch, intermediate balls, deep balls, screen passes, yards after catch. I believe he's forced 15 missed tackles, which is top five in the country, might even be second. He, he just does it all. And Brady Cook's turnaround making the reads in this offense is great. But Luther Burden has unlocked everything this is a guy who had i believe less than 250 yards last season they didn't know how to use him they didn't know how good he was and kirby moore goes in there and turns this guy into arguably the best receiver at least playing right now the, like the best receiver in the country i know there's some other guys who aren't putting up huge numbers that we know are going to go high in the draft but what they're doing at missouri despite the loss look they still put up 39 points in that game they they only lost that game because daniels and and neighbors and thomas are so great I mean, because, you know, we had pointed out that Missouri is likely to expose LSU in the secondary. Nobody more so than Burden, 11 catches for 149 yards. Um, Missouri's for real. I, I know they lost this game. They're not undefeated anymore. They're a real problem for anybody in front of them. They're only going to get better, and Luther Burden is the number one reason for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to spoil our next week's video, but I'd be pretty surprised if Luther Burden III is not our Bolitnikoff winner in the midseason right now, man. He has been unbelievable. Want to remind people, just a true sophomore, too. He still has another year of college football in him, which is going to be a lot very exciting for Missouri fans and not very exciting for the rest of the SEC uh, having to defend him. The guy I'm going with, the guy who I waxed poetic about last week when I said he's the greatest tight end in college football history, and I still believe that. Brock Bowers, man, what he has been doing this season is absolutely absurd. Here are all the stats where he leads all tight ends in the country. Receiving grade, catches, receiving yards, yards after the catch, receiving yards after contact, receiving first downs and touchdowns, force missed tackles, and yards per route run. This guy is by far the best player at his position in the country. And I don't think there's another position right now where – it's pretty. It, it's easier to find the number one player at that position. Brock Bowers, one of the best players in college football. He is legitimately, in my opinion, in the Heisman race right now as a tight end, which is absolutely absurd. And a lot of people I've seen on, on social media when trying to take away from Brock Bowers are saying, okay, well, he's just a great receiver. He's not really uh, you know, a good blocker, like what they did with, with Kyle Pitts. 
Brock Bowers right now has the ninth best run blocking grade so far this season. So he has been always a great run blocker. Um, I, I think the comparison for him I've heard a lot is George Kittle. Jordan Reed said it on the show, man, and I, I see it too, man. He's a great receiver, really good blocker as well. Brock Bowers is by far, in my opinion, the best tight end in college football. And I think once the season is over, once he wins a John Mackey Award again, which he's on pace for, we're going to look back and say this is the greatest tight end in college football history. And I don't think it's hyperbole to say that, man, because he has been that special. Now let's move on to our offensive line that we're going with. And the two tackles that we have are Joe Alt from Notre Dame and Talisa Fuaga from Oregon State. Our two guards are Christian Haynes from UConn and Cooper Beebe from Kansas State, who we actually interviewed. So you can check out that interview if you want. And then the center we're going with is Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon. So, Dalton, who are you highlighting out of the uh, All-American offensive line that we have? For as much as Alt and Beebe are the huge names there and likely first-round picks, I'm actually going to look at Powers Johnson. Um, You've got a guy, he's the only center in the country with 80-plus grades in run blocking and pass protection, the only center in the top 10 in both, and he's only given up one pressure all season so far. For an Oregon team that is by far leading the league, or leading the country, excuse me, in pass protection grade, it's... They, from wire to wire so far this year, are the best pass-protecting unit. He's the best pass-protecting center and the anchor. And I think the most impressive part to me is he played guard last year. And, yeah. and, and he was the 12th best guard in the country last year playing right guard for the Ducks. He, the switch to center has been unbelievable. And what he's doing, anchoring a unit, they have arguably the best offensive line in the country right now. And he's the best player on in that unit uh, he's square he's he's you're gonna hear his name in award season it's coming because he's one pressure through i don't care who you're playing i don't care level of competition any of that stuff one pressure in six games is nuts yeah Uh, it's it's just i i can't even explain how crazy that is in big time college football in the pac-12 i mean look this week this pass protection is is good. And Washington is third in the country right now. you got two teams that can really pass protect. But Powers Johnson moving from guard to center and being the leader of that group and performing even better than he did at guard is, is just insane. And, and this is the unit that really is what makes Oregon dangerous. You saw the way they mauled Colorado. They're doing this to teams every single week. And really, for as much as James and Franklin and Knicks and everybody else gets all the accolades – their offensive line is what makes them go, and it starts with Powers Johnson. Absolutely. Man. You mentioned he's the only center in the country who's top 10 in both pass blocking and run blocking grade. He's also in the top five for both of those. So it's pretty insane what he's doing. Uh, the guy I'm highlighting is another guy that we interviewed. So you can check out that interview if you want to. guy who's probably going to be a top 10 pick, and I would argue he should be a top five pick maybe in the NFL draft. Joe Alt, who has been the last two years, he was the highest graded offensive tackle in the country last year. He's the highest graded offensive tackle in the country this year. You see right there, he's ninth in pass blocking grade. He's sixth in run blocking grade. He's the only tackle in the country who's top 10 for both. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an NFL scout or as good of an NFL scout as Trevor Sycamore or Connor Rogers are or a lot of other people that, that do this for a living. But I would argue, Dalton, I would take him probably over Olu Fashanu in terms of the NFL draft. We have an interview with Olu as well. He's a great kid, and he's a fantastic pass protector. But I think what Alt does, both as a pass blocker and run blocker the last two years, man, 
I would take him. I'd say he is OT1 in the NFL draft. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, it's a real debate. It's going to be a really fun debate. Um, but when you've got the well-roundedness of all, and this isn't just, I mean, when you talk about Fashanu being a better pass protector, it's not by much. I mean, Fashanu is the best pass protector in the country, but all being, I believe, I want to say an 85 plus in both pass block and run block is it, the well-roundedness is hard to ignore. Now, everybody always has a flavor and you'll get to the combine and do all these things, but it's it's hard to think that if Alt is at least comparable as a pass blocker and he's much, much better as a run blocker, it's hard to think he wouldn't go before Fashanu. But again, that's kind of every scout, every GM has their flavor. If they want just the lockdown, lights-out pass protector and we'll work on the run game later, that's cool too. I get it, but the fact that Alt is so good in every aspect, you, you can ask this guy to do anything, and it's really the thing that – you know, you mentioned estimate before. He's all in front of him is the guy that makes makes this go up front for Notre Dame in both facets. Yeah, not to take away from either of them, man. They're both going to be top ten picks in the draft. Like they're still fantastic players. But yeah, Joe Altman, he has been special so far this season. But moving on to the defensive side of the ball now, our front seven, our two interior defensive linemen are Jerzon Newton from Illinois and Howard Cross the third from Notre Dame. Our two edge defenders are Liatu Latu from UCLA and Dallas Turner from Alabama. Both of them probably going to be first-round picks in the NFL draft at this rate. And our two linebackers are Peyton Wilson from NC State. And how about this, Dalton? Jason Henderson, man, from Old Dominion. He has been unreal so far this season. But who do you want to highlight in that uh, the front seven that we got there? I'm actually going to take Leatu Latu. And this is this defensive line, looking at it a second time now, is probably the best unit on this entire list. Yeah. Um, you've got probably at least three guys who are going to go in the first round and cross maybe in the top 50 the way he's playing as well. But Latu, the best defender in the country right now, leads all power five edge rushers and pass rush grade, third among them in pressure rate. He's got five sacks. He's forced three fumbles. He's even got an interception. He leads an elite, an elite defense. UCLA has an elite defense. I could argue the best defense in the Pac-12. This is a year after he was the eighth best um, edge defender in the country. He would have gone mid to late first round last year. And he's pushing, honestly, you know, it was kind of assumed before that it would be, you know, maybe Jared Verse or possibly Dallas Turner, who's who you just mentioned. Also, Latu might go ahead in the draft of all of them. He's yeah. just so, he's so consistent. He's a game wrecker. If you, you can't, the first thing you have to do when you play UCLA is figure out how to block this guy. And the problem is they have other talent on their defensive line mm -hmm. too. He makes impact plays. He gets. He's got a high, high pressure rate. He's got a high motor. There is not much that Latu can't do. And the fact that this year he's turned it up another notch to where he is the highest graded defensive player in the country is insane. I, I mean, it's it's going to be hard for me to believe that he'll fall outside the top 15 in this next draft. Oh, definitely, man. I think Trevor Sikma had him, I think, number five in his mock draft. And his story, man, is so cool. I mean, he literally missed the 2020 and 2021 seasons at Washington because they forced him to medically retire with a neck injury. He transfers to UCLA, gets cleared by their doctors, was unreal last year. And like you said, I mean, he has been the best defensive player in college football this year, man. So hopefully the medicals check out at the combine and all that. But because if they do, 
I mean, he could be pushing for a top five, top ten pick, man. He has been that special. The guy I want to go with, um, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, man, is Drazan Newton, uh, who is still actually a, a fan of the show. You know, he, he watches sometimes and, you know, he reads a lot of the stuff that we put out. So he is awesome, man. He has been – last year he was one of the best interior defensive linemen in the country. This year he's – I'd say he has been the best interior defensive lineman in the country. You see right there. Leads the nation in pressures for interior defensive linemen. He's second in run defense stops, and he's sixth in pass rush win rate. In that uh, interview that we have with Rajon Newton, he told me the reason he came back to school was because he wanted to be a first-round pick. He looked at mock drafts all the time, did not see himself in the top two rounds. He said, that's not good enough, man. I'm coming back to school. He said he wanted to be, you know, he's from the Florida area, another defensive tackle from Florida, Jalen Carter. Uh, he saw how he was talked about. He says, man, that's how I want to be talked about. Now, I don't know if it'll be the prospect that Jalen Carter was, but man, Drazan Noon has been unfreaking believable over these last two years, friend of the show as well, but there's no bias honestly needed for this because he has been one of the best defensive tackles in college football, man. So uh, big shout out to Drazan Newton, man. You keep killing it, man. He has been unbelievable. Moving on to our secondary, uh, we have our two corners, both from the SEC, in Chris Abrams Drain from Missouri and Terion Arnold from Alabama. Two safeties also from the SEC in Malachi Starks from Georgia and Jalen Simpson from Auburn. And then our flex defensive player, basically our slot corner, is Sebastian Castro from Iowa. So, Don, who do you want to talk about out of our secondary players that we have on our All-American team? Man, looking at it now, just the just the absolute boatload of athletic talent in the SEC is crazy yeah. uh, between you know there was the matchups that we get at receiver and in the secondary all year is just nuts but i'm actually going to go with terry arnold from alabama now i know kool-aid mckinstry is is well the coolest name and the biggest name in alabama's secondary but arnold's actually been even better he's the 10th highest overall graded corner in the country he has right you see it right there the 90.7 run defense grade seven forced incompletions the six Pass breakups actually ties him with Abrams Drain for the SEC lead. He's only given up 166 yards in six games, and 93 of those were to Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. um, he and, and honestly, some of those yards were a lot of yards after catch throughout the year, especially the one catch he gave up last week to AM that went for 37. That ball was like five yards in the air, and McKinstry actually missed a tackle that cost him, and, they, and a and ended up scoring on it. So. You know, this guy, he has only given up one catch of 15-plus air yards this year. They just, wow. for a team that right now, Alabama is the best coverage team in the country, best secondary in the country across the board. Arnold has actually, just barely, I mean, because they're all they've all been good, all those guys, McKinstry included. And Arnold actually just barely has been the best player among them. He's super aggressive in run defense. He's a shirt tackler. Lockdown. If he's not like totally lock locked down in coverage, he doesn't give up any big plays. Really, he, he doesn't. Like I said, the, the one catch you see, you'll see to A and M last week. Oh, one catch for thirty-seven yards. That ball was thrown about four yards, and some other circumstances happened. That was not his fault. So you've you've got a guy who just you know everybody was thinking about. You know they lost Branch and they lost Battle, and McKinstry was really the one guy left from last year that played a lot. You know guys like Terion Arnold have come in and continued this secondary. And I know Milrose development is obviously a big thing with Bama right now. It gets all the spotlight, but if you want a real reason they could still win the sec, it's this second, this is the best secondary in the country. Yeah. And Terry on Arnold 
has been spectacular. Get to know his name. He's been every bit as good as McKinstry and the rest of this secondary that that you'll hear. They they I I really at this point seeing them through three SEC games. I have no idea. LSU's gonna their matchup when they get to play LSU is gonna be so much fun because yeah, yeah. we already mentioned the two receivers earlier. LSU's the best deep ball throwing team in the league in the uh, in the nation, and Alabama is the best at preventing them. It's it's going to be so much fun to watch Arnold and these guys against LSU when that comes. But this secondary could be the reason that Bama could still win the SEC. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, you mentioned it. Kool-Aid McKinstry was, would be on prior second-team All-American list because he's been that good. Uh, Caleb Downs has been another fantastic safety. He's just a true freshman so far. He's the highest-rated safety recruit since Derwin James coming out of high school. So Alabama's secondary, man, is absolutely loaded, like you said. Um, speaking of safeties, though, I'm going to go with the best safety in the country right now. That is Malachi Starks from Georgia, who a lot of people were very high on last year when he was an excellent true freshman. This year, he's even better, man. He leads all safeties in the country in overall grade. He is second in coverage grade. He's tied for 10th in run defense grade. He's the only safety in college football who's top 10 for both. And, you know, we talked about some other guys like Luther Burden third for the 2025 NFL draft. Malachi Starks, man, is going to be one of those special safety prospects, I think, coming on for next year's draft because, man, he has been unreal as a true freshman, and he was even he's even better now as a sophomore, going from a great for a true freshman, like a really, a really good player overall, unreal for a true freshman, especially for a national championship team, this year, he's now the best safety in the country. So Malachi Storks, man, is, has really blown me away with how good he's been. Now, we have to end this, of course, Don, with special teams. Of course, we have to end it, and we have data for all of these guys, man. So we can tell you exactly who the best special teamers are. So we're going to. Our kicker is Will Reichard from Alabama. Our punter is Matthew Hayball from Vanderbilt. Our return specialist is Zachariah Branch, the electric true freshman from USC. Our special teamer is Sam Matthews from Texas A&M. He has been unbelievable for their special team so far this season. And our long snapper is Byron Floyd from Pittsburgh. We have long snapping metrics over at PFF. So if you're wondering why we should be listening, you guys should be listening to Dalton and I on this is because we have a database, man, that can literally tell you who the best long snappers in college football are right now, man. And yeah, Byron Floyd, man, leads all long snappers in overall grade, zero bad snaps on, on all of his field goal attempts so far this season. I can't believe Eli actually made the graphic. I am over the moon right now. Realize the goat, uh, two tackles as well, tied for third among FBS long snappers. So if you're thinking this Heisman race is just going to be down to K- Michael Penix Jr and Caleb Williams count Byron Floyd in that as well man because he has been the best long snapper in college football but yeah Donald that's what we got for all-american team man uh, yeah no I mean the third look the third face matters too they're people too right long snappers yeah. are people too and that is definitely the best graphic that we've had at least since I've been on this show um but you know just just to point out I- I'm gonna be honest with you Zachariah Branch I know the, the I know the return game is the flashiest part the only player still with a kick return touchdown and a punt return touchdown this guy when they when he gets even better with his route running on offense, I, I'm going to tell you the first time I saw him when he took that first kick return back, I believe it was against San Jose State in the in their first game. I I thought it was Tyree Kill running. I'm telling you right now, between yeah. the return game and when he gets loose as a receiver, and they really start because I know they they're loaded at receiver Rice and Singer and Mario Williams and everything like and and Marshawn Lloyd in the backfield. I don't know if it'll be this year or next year. Whenever they turn him loose at receiver. 
I, I'm telling you right now, Branches, he's going to be the next like lightning electric superstar. I mean, like he's. I think he's the first kid I've seen in college who, and I know we've seen some freaks, Devontae Smith. When I tell you he has Tyreek Hill level feet, it's it's insane to think that kid is 18. I think they said, I think I, I think I read somewhere as a sophomore in high school, he ran a 10-3 in the hundred, <laughs> which I, I can't even I can't even explain to you at fifth. And then I think he quit track and just played football or something. I think it was a 10-3. In the hundred at fifteen years old, that's that's just insane. Yeah, I mean, he's really when when he goes to the NFL, I he's going to be maybe a candidate to break break the forty record. I think right now it's a four two two. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, it's some um, I don't know, somebody recent. I can't remember who it was, but a four two two. I mean, that's he's he. It's it's nuts the level of talent he has, and the fact that he's already returned two kicks to the house is incredible. But yeah, no, look, the third phase matters too, man. And and I'll tell you, Riker not missing a kick yet all year either. Hopefully we don't jinx him this week. But, uh, yeah, it's big for an Alabama team that needs all the points they can get. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, yeah, it's been an unbelievable season so far. And I can't believe Eli actually made the Byron Floyd graphic. I'm so happy about that. But, yeah. He he, he, he also tells me that, yes, that's that's the name I thought it was, but I couldn't remember if it had been broken. John Ross. John Ross yes. from Washington with the 4-2-2. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. But man, we got this, we got for our midseason all American team going over the best players at every single position. I'm actually dropping a midseason all American team with a uh, second team, third team honorable mentions. If you want to see the guys who just missed the cut, you can check that out over at pff.com should be dropping on Wednesday, that article. So yeah, man, I'm, this is awesome, man. I'm excited for our Wednesday preview because that's going to be a huge, huge weekend of college football. So make sure you guys are tuned in for that. And then next Monday, we got our midseason awards to give out to midseason Heisman trophy midseason Belinikoff, every single award that you can think of we're going to be giving it out in our midseason award show but that's what we got for our midseason all-american team shouting out eli once again the goat producer for putting together a long snapper graphic i don't even know i can't believe you even found a picture of byron floyd man that's incredible but uh yeah man this is, this is an awesome episode so shouting out eli shouting out my my co-host Dalton Wasserman. i'm max chadwick we'll see you guys on wednesday for what should be a massive massive preview episode that we'll have for you guys.